0: Good morning, Canada. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. Today's date is Sunday, July 18th, 2021. It is Tony in smoky Saskatchewan.
1: And Louis out here in hot, sunny, and smoky BC. Uh, I just want to start off the show with uh, apologizing for not having a full episode midweek like we normally do. Um our schedules were just crazy again this week, and uh, I, it was actually me that could not find the time to, uh, uh, to do a show. Um, so our backup is always to do it on Sunday morning when both of us are up early and our families are still sleeping, so that's what we're doing today.
0: Absolutely, and point uh, of personal privilege, I'm sitting out here at a beautiful park in North Saskatoon, so I've got good scenery to do the show to, a, to accompany it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting uh, actually down at the lake. So, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, we both have beautiful scenery to look at while we complain about this country.
0: Yes. <laughs> 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 yep. That's well said. All right. So, we have a lot to cover on the show today. On the show, Aaron O'Toole visits Saskatoon, and Tony gets the chance to talk to him. Jody Rooks and Raybold not about the pension after all. COVID. Is it still about COVID? Or is it about the money? Residential school graveyards. Are they mass graves? Or are they actually graveyards? And some good news. John A. McDonald finally gets a break. And more. Where do you want to start, sir?
1: Um, well, let's start with... Uh... Aaron O'Toole's visit to uh, Saskatoon.
0: Sure, yeah, we can bat that one down pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. He he came to a actually it wasn't even conservative fundraiser; it was a Conservative Party barbecue um, where they invited some members and, like me, a past members who are still on the mailing list, and it was essentially just a rah-rah event and. So I thought I'd go cuz I thought I wanted to meet Aaron O'Toole and I told you that at least the very the one question that I wanted to ask of him. So when he got up he made about a 13 minute speech which was was it was pointed he got his talking points in but I mean by no means was the speech inspiring and by no means was there a lot of passion attached to it. But I mean he I guess he still rallied to his base. He still asked for help and getting some of that prairie enthusiasm into Ontario to win some blue seats. And he didn't take too many shots at Justin Trudeau, which I was kind of expecting him to do. So I guess good for him for taking the high road. But, and you know what's coming now, Lewis, because right, I did get a chance to ask him a question. He would not, there was no time for to try and ask for it. he was swarmed by everybody. But I did ask him. Uh, said Mr. O'Toole said, so "How do you expect Western Canadians to trust you when you campaigned for leadership as a true blue conservative, and then immediately sprinted to the political left, and then backed away from your promise not to implement a carbon tax?" So he uh, wouldn't touch at all the the idea of his leftward sprint. And fine, then he tried to sell me on his carbon pricing idea, and by saying that well, it's not a tax. It's just a price on carbon. And I immediately stopped him and said, Mr. O'Toole, that's just like saying that income tax is just a price on my productivity. A tax is a tax. And, uh, so he kind of just blew that off and then tried to explain to me how his carbon tax is better than Justin Trudeau's because at least the money gets put into kind of a, a savings account. And he tried to equate it to, well, when you buy a case of beer, you pay a deposit on the bottles and then you get that deposit back when you bring the bottles in. And then, uh, they tried to talk about you know at least you'll be spending you'll be spending that money on greener products initiatives, which will help bring the emissions down. And I don't know who he was referring to, but he said they wanted to see a climate plan, and this one is it's a better plan than Justin Trudeau's. So I don't know who they is exactly.
1: Uh well, yeah. I mean, they would be the media.
0: That's my guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. I mean, that's disappointing. I mean, but not expect, but not unexpected. I mean, we, we've been talking about Aaron O'Toole uh, for quite a while now. Um, I mean, we were both very impressed with him when he, when he won the leadership Um, we were actually kind of excited because he was out there. He was getting his name out there. He was all over, uh, he was all over the news. He was all over the internet for the first like three weeks of his leadership. And I thought he was doing an excellent job of getting his name out there, getting uh, people to know him. Uh, And then after three weeks, it was like he drove off a cliff because he just disappeared. And, uh, and then when he reemerged, suddenly there was these new policies that, we'd never heard from him before. And, um, one of which being the carbon tax, which I agree with you, um, calling a price on carbon, uh, or calling a carbon tax, a price on carbon is the same as calling income tax, a price on productivity. Um, a tax is a tax and you're a hundred percent correct on that. And, uh, the fact that he wants to play semantics uh, is is disappointing. Um, I mean, it's not fooling anybody. So why why bother trying?
0: Well, exactly, yeah, and it's uh, at least he he pretty quickly realized that he wasn't going to win me over on his talk about the tax. So then uh, he did some idle chit chat. We took a picture. He went on to the next person and, and that's fine. Cause he was he busy. He's got a lot to do, but it was funny that he really spent zero time trying to convince me that, uh, that I could fall for it. So either he just figured I'm not going to waste my time on the prairies because these guys aren't going for it anyway, or he just figured, I don't know. Like I say, he he was busy, so I understand him not wanting to engage me for too long. Well, I mean,
1: when when he when you encounter someone who obviously is knowledgeable, obviously isn't buying your bullshit, and uh, and is obviously someone who's informed, right? Uh, you know, you're not going to win them over, so why try? Yeah, I get that. That's true. And uh, but uh, but I mean, political leader. Um, you're at a comp- or at a party function, and this is someone who's in your own party, or in your case, used to be in their party. Um, you're someone that needs to be convinced because you you're the base. And if the base isn't buying isn't buying what the leader is selling, then who will?
0: Well, that's a good point. Now, uh, we'll move on from that one, because speaking of not buying what they're selling, you, just before we started the show, brought up Stephen Gilbo. So, uh, wow, right. I'm sure not buying what he's selling. No, no, and this one's frightening. I mean,
1: this is... Uh, his his comment was that and for those of you who don't remember and you if you're a regular listener to this show, you should know who Stephen Gilbo is, so if you don't know who he is, you're not listening to this show enough um <laughs> Stephen Gilbo is uh the minister of heritage right correct and he uh he is He's a kooky character uh, This guy He's the guy behind Bill C-10 Which is the Internet censorship bill uh, That passed the House of Commons And is in the Senate right now Which hopefully will die on the docket When they call an election Here in August um, And he's the guy behind Bill C-36 Is that the right number? It is yeah, Bill C thirty six, which is the hate speech um, bill, which uh, will regulate what you're allowed to say on the internet in regards to whether you offend somebody on a podcast like ours. Uh, you don't even have to offend somebody that somebody can say. I'm afraid they're gonna they're going to offend me, and then you and then the our podcast would get. Uh, Find, even though we haven't actually said anything, and the money that we get fined actually goes to the person who complained. So, you know, it, there's a financial incentive for people to be offended. Uh, we already have that financial incentive in the uh, uh, the kangaroo court that we have in Canada called the Human Rights Commissions, but um, but now. It's even worse in that if you even make a complaint and then they fine us that money that we get fined, which first offense is 20 grand, I believe, and the second offense is 50 grand, uh, would go directly to the person complaining. So like I said, excuse me, uh, financial incentive to be offended, which is not good for any country or any community. It's uh, it's something that will actually tear countries apart um, and communities apart. And so Bill C-36 is, is... Bill C-10 and Bill C-36 are the two most damaging and threatening uh, bills that I have ever seen in my lifetime. And they're both coming from this Stephen Gilbo, the Minister of Heritage. Um, he said, This is what he said Tweets are undermining democracy.
0: You want to see that again?
1: Yeah, in case you didn't hear what I said, <laughs> Stephen Gilbo, Minister of Heritage, said, Tweets are threatening democracy.
0: What exactly was he smoking before he said that? Well, <laughs> it could have been any number
1: of things. I mean, <laughs> we know Stephen Gilbo has a color a colored uh, history here, but true. Um, yeah, he's he believes that people offering up their opinions on Twitter are threatening our democracy. So if people on Twitter are threatening our democracy, what is Canadian common sense guilty of?
0: Well, that's just it. I mean, that's uh, Twitter. As much as I hate Twitter because I think Twitter is very toxic and it's a place where the left dominates and loves to, To call out people on the right It's still freedom of speech And people are still entitled to their opinions And As much as I I don't even go on Twitter We used to have a Twitter account for the show Which we deleted And as much as I don't use Twitter I still defend anybody else's right To be on there It's not undermining democracy If anything it enhances your democracy Because it's a platform for free speech It's a soapbox
1: Yeah, although in recent times, here, uh, Twitter, Facebook, um, even Instagram, uh, they've they're they're not the bastions of free speech they used to be.
0: True, very true.
1: I mean, you for what a year and a half? If you suggested that the Wuhan virus came from a lab, you got you got uh, sanctioned on those platforms. You were either suspended or even banned outright, oh. and. Um, now, oh, guess what? It came from a lab. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many things that we you, uh, you actually would get in trouble for on those platforms for saying because the fact checkers, which is like uh, PolitiFact, and um, uh, there's, a, a, I think, three or four of these, these fact-checking um, outfits and they're all run by hardcore left-wing people, um, would find that whatever you're posting was was false and you would get suspended or deleted. (laughs) And and all at the behest of governments, by the way. Um, The U.S. government has uh, told Twitter and Facebook that if they don't do it, then the government will. And so... They've taken it on, on themselves to to censor the internet, so that the so that the U.S.
0: government doesn't
1: uh, start regulating them.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's uh, maybe that's what Stephen Gilboa is. You know. Making a subtle threat that by saying this statement that hey you guys better start doing this in Canada too. Um, I hope that's not what he's saying. But okay, you had me laughing when you talked about the fact checkers because yeah, you're right. I know this so often. You'll see face- Facebook posts and say missing context, and then they give you a link to an opinion article. It's like, well, that's yeah. a dude's opinion. That's not a fact. <laughs>
1: well, I, I like it when you when you post a meme. And they and they fact check the meme, yeah. like like when I fact I posted a meme about uh, about Doctor Fauci's leaked emails. Well, they determined that my post was or that my meme was um, part or uh, partially correct, but false because uh, his emails weren't leaked. It was a um, uh freedom of information request.
0: <laughs> oh <geez. laughs> And
1: that's so the so the post was deemed um, mostly false.
0: Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> all of all over
1: semantics. <laughs> Not because it wasn't true. Right. <laughs>
0: it's these
1: and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So I mean this is what this is what's happening now and it's really, really scary. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time, and and like Tony and I, I said on the last show, um, if Bill C36, like if there is no election in September, and that that is a possibility that there is no, because the conservatives are actually uh, basically tied with the liberals now in the polls, um, so the liberals might not call that election because of that, uh that that bill c36 may pass and if it does canadian common sense is gone we are going to voluntarily shut this podcast down because neither of us can afford these fines
0: oh absolutely right yeah <laughs> All right, let's move on here. We've got, you are talking with Dr. Fauci's emails. So let's uh, go in to talk about COVID because you brought up a good point. um, Well, it was a while back, I think when we were chatting, I don't think it was necessarily on the show, but uh, you talked about the cost of the Pfizer vaccine, which is, I believe, $45 a shot or 43 or something. And, And now suddenly... Pfizer seeking approval for a third shot for Canadians, which they're, they're doing it already in France. And I remember Isaac Bogosh, he's on Roy Green a lot. He's an infectious diseases expert, and he works at the University of Toronto and also uh, I think it's Toronto General Hospital. And I remember him saying very succinctly, you know, we've got very good vaccines, and at two shots uh, you're at 94% uh immunization, 94% effectiveness or uh, efficacy, right, that's it. And sure. so he's like, yep, yeah, these are great vaccines, go get them. And so if these are great vaccines and the, the experts who are following the science say that it's good, why do we need a third shot? Yeah, well, here's
1: the thing. Pfizer has, app- has applied for approval for third and fourth shots. Um, So not just third shots, but fourth shots as well. And yeah, France, France is doing third shots. Um, And I think they're the only country right now doing third shots. Uh, But, but in Canada and the U S Pfizer has applied for approval for third and fourth shots, which I mean, let's be real. One shot would have been good enough. One shot gets you to that 90 to 94% range. The second shot gets you to that 96 to 97% range. And there's a reason I I believe, I'm no scientist, but I believe that the second shot is having, like people are having those adverse reactions to the second shot because that first shot is good enough. And that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, like I got my second shot on Friday and i've been sleeping all weekend like i i got home from my shot and i fell asleep for three hours and then i went to bed at like 8 30 and i was
0: uh and then yesterday
1: i i had to do some work on a piece of equipment i own and when i was done i went home and i fell asleep and then I, and then last night i fell asleep at eight thirty again and uh, and even this morning I'm still tired. like it's my body is not liking this second shot. like I'm not getting the flu symptoms or anything like that like other people have had, but i'm I'm just exhausted.
0: Well, you know the first person that said that and I know I talked to a nurse at uh, my mom's care home back in the winter who had gotten her second shot and she had said, yeah, once she got that second shot, she felt awful. And she said she was, she was tired and she had some of those flu symptoms that you had referred to. And so yeah, now hearing this again, and there hasn't been nearly the degree of adverse reactions that have sometimes been reported. Like of course, and Hey, and I, you heard me say it on the show, even one case is too many. So I'm guilty of the, the hyperbole as well, but there really hasn't been the degree of the number of blood clots for example and heart uh heart um what do you call enlargement. it enlargement thank you yeah. uh, that has been reported i mean it's like you know 0.0 odd percent but yeah. also got these same people who are downplaying the adverse effects stoking fear over the delta variant that has a wait for it canada 0.2% case fatality rate which is yeah. less lethal than the first strain of covid that we're getting shots for where we were 99.9% survivable so temper it down folks the delta variant's not the plague
1: yeah no they're touting this delta variant as being the um like the uh the be all end all of this covid-19 Pandemic. I mean, they're they're suggesting that it's it's. Uh, I mean, they're not coming right out and saying it. If you look at newspaper articles and stuff, they're suggesting that the co- that the Delta variant, which by the way started out being called the Indian variant, exactly, um, is uh, is going to put us all back in masks and uh, all the restrictions are going to come back and all this kind of stuff. And yet the survivability rate of the Delta variant is way better than the regular COVID-19 brand. And, uh, and there's no, there's no reason for us to be scared of it. I mean, viruses become more contagious over time. And this is something that you would learn, you would, or you would know if you actually listen to proper epidemiologists or evolutionary biologists or lab techs or anything like that, right? Like you would know if you actually listen to people who know what they're talking about, rather than these blowhards that claim to be uh, uh, experts, that viruses when they when they evolve like viruses don't want their hosts to die because if they die then the then the virus dies so as they mutate they almost invariably get less deadly but more contagious and so so less people die but more people get it and uh And that sounds not so bad, if you ask me.
0: (laughs) True. Well, and what I'm worried about is that what we're trying to sell now is fear. And I've mentioned that before with the original string, how the fear merchants out there just want you to be afraid of this virus that's so highly survivable. And I wonder if Pfizer isn't (laughs) using that trying to stoke the fear so they can sell more vaccines. And I have to give you credit for the last part, because I think you had pointed out that, you know, this is about the money now. This isn't about COVID anymore.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, if if you want, if you want to know that this is about the money, I mean, when your second vaccine uh, gets you to ninety six or ninety seven percent, and the company who makes the vaccine is saying, "Nope, nope, we need a third shot, and maybe even a fourth shot," well, what level? Of- because you are never going to get to a hundred. It, it's like. It's like dividing a number by two, and then dividing the answer by two, and then dividing that answer by two. You never get to zero. Like it's, it, you'll never get to a hundred percent. And it's, um, uh, so this is this is all about the money. We know that ivermectin is a cure. Even, you know, even the, uh, the the inventor. The scientist who invented the mRNA vaccine technology has looked at the data, and he even he
0: proclaims that ivermectin is a cure for COVID. And Good point. And his name is Robert Malone. If anybody wants to look that up to fact check us, he yeah. actually he did. He actually say that on, that on that Joe Rogan show, or was he referred to on that Joe Rogan show? He,
1: he was referred to by uh, Brett Weinstein, who is right uh, an evolutionary biologist. And he has uh, had direct conversations with uh, with Robert Malone, and uh, Robert Malone has publicly stated that, yeah, yeah, ivermectin a cure, and but the problem is ivermectin is off patent. It's been around since the late '60s and came to market in '71, I believe. Um, it's a antiviral and anti. Um, Parasitic drug. It is one of, if not the safest drug that humans have ever developed. There's no known side effects. I mean, it's it's a it's an extremely safe drug, and
0: kills COVID nineteen. Like, and how much does that d- cost for a, for a dose of ivermectin? By the way, a dollar. Oh, and the Pfizer shot. It's $45. American. Hmm. Yeah. American. Yeah. So about, about what? 55 or
1: 60 bucks Canadian? Right. Yeah. So it's, there's a, there's a huge profit to be made off these, off of these uh, vaccines. Now, you, you might not know. Um, and I'm going to give a little bit of background on this before I tell you what I'm about to say. My mother has been a financial officer for um, political candidates, I think, in three elections now. And she noticed something with regards to donations to her candidate. And she ended up talking to financial officers from other candidates to find out if they were seeing the same thing. And they all were. The candidates are getting more donations from pharmaceutical companies than they get from anything else. Oh. So, that should tell you something. It sure does. Wow. I did not know that. Oh, pharmaceutical companies... Just they donate so much money to to political candidates, and they donate it to every single one, so that whoever gets elected knows where their but where their bread's been being buttered.
0: My goodness, yeah, wow, I, that 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 blows me away. I mean that, uh, but that also explains a lot, doesn't it? It doesn't it, and it's.
1: I mean we're. You know, we got governments that are pushing hard for even people who have had COVID nineteen. My sister had COVID nineteen. Her entire family had COVID nineteen, and they had to get vaccines if they ever want to travel again. Well, they've all got the antibodies, and my and when my sister got her vaccine, it knocked her out like she she had it she says it feels like she's got covid all over again because she had it before so she had the antibodies so when she got the vaccine her body reacted like it was covid again
0: well, that, that makes sense. And see, the NIH, which is uh, in the US National Institute for Health, had actually put out a study saying that natural immunity to COVID was actually stronger than the vaccine. So, yeah. no wonder she had such adverse effects to getting the vaccine because she already had, the, like you say, hey, she had the antibodies. She was more bulletproof than, than anybody who took a vaccine and who didn't have COVID
1: exactly
0: and why are the
1: governments pushing so hard for teenagers to get vaccinated like and why are they why are they trying to get approval for children to get the vaccines
0: well i mean it's all about public safety but what bugs me is it I mean, and I'm, I'm being facetious when i say that of course
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um back in 2009 when h1n1 was the uh, the pandemic of the day i remember The the it was at my kids' school. They were like in grades two and three at the time, really young, and their shots were coming around. And my ex-wife and I weren't together at that point in time, and we were saying, "Okay, well, you know, we'll uh, let let's uh, let's do it." I mean, it's I hadn't gotten the shot yet, neither had she. And Stephen Harper was prime minister at the time, and he came on the radio or on the media and said, "If you don't get this shot, you are bad Canadians." And as soon as he said that, my ex-wife and I called each other up and it was like, okay, there's something going on here. So we didn't get the shots ourselves. We told the school, no, our kids are not getting that shot. And it was only our kids and then the, the few other ones who, whose parents had said no, that didn't get sick. Every other kid got the shot and got sick. And, uh, and, our, and our kids, you know, as young as they were, they were looking around just saying like, whoa, it's a good thing we didn't get that. yeah i mean i've i've had i had h1n1
1: in 2009 like i i got it and i i thought i was gonna die like it was brutal like i i've never been so sick in my life um but you know i got i got through it almost everybody that got it got through it it did kill people but and I believe it actually had a higher mortality rate than COVID nineteen. It just as um, uh, contagious.
0: Yeah, that's true. And it was uh, it seemed to be restricted to uh, of all things hospitals. So my my brother actually passed away from H one N one that he caught in the hospital when he went in because he had pneumonia.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had no. I actually didn't know that your da- your brother died from H one N one.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he did. Yeah, he caught it in the... Well, we're, we're sure he caught it in the hospital because he, he didn't have it when he went in, so... Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, so anyway, moving on from COVID, um, Jody Wilson-Raybould has announced that she will not be seeking re-election, so unless the uh, election is put off till after October, she won't be getting that pension after all, but... What bothered me, and we had talked about this before, not necessarily that she's not running again, but uh, her letter stating that Parliament is toxic. And she repeated all of Justin Trudeau's talking points toxic Parliament, can't get anything done, unworkable, hyper partisan. But she added her own little twist saying that Parliament is, quote, marginalizing certain groups of people. And then we had Momalak Gak, who was the, uh, or is still, the MP for Nunavut, NDP, and she had added to that and said, yes, it's unworkable. Yes, it marginalizes certain groups. And then she went on to say the parliament is privileged, made made of, and made for white people. And I just thought, I wonder if all the, the Sikh and the Muslim and the Southeast Asian MPs would agree with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, how how exactly is the House of Commons made for white people? Like is there something to do with the lighting? Or is there you know, I I, I don't understand that comment. Like like how is it made for white people? Like it is it, 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 it do white people vote differently than than um than indigenous or or black or or Asian people like is is there something that we vote differently so it it's more conducive to white people voting than it is for other uh people to vote i mean i I, I don't understand what this comment means
0: well, I think you are actually onto something when i th- I think that was kind of what she was inferring was that uh <laughs> But yeah I mean it's the system set up for white people so that they are able to succeed and I thought people are you know MPs vote the way their party leader tells them so would that mean that the NDP is actually made for brown people because their leader is a brown person and the MPs vote the way he tells them to like you can't have this both ways miss kagak
1: yeah I don't understand that comment it, it doesn't make any any logical sense. Like, there's nothing about that that makes any sense. It, it's it's like the argument down in the States that uh, voter ID is racist. Well, like, <laughs> how... So, black people don't know how to get a government issue ID? Like, it's free for everybody. Yeah. like You just have to apply for it. I mean, it's so crazy. I mean, because even that argument doesn't even have any uh, merit. I mean, considering the fact that you know uh, minority groups vote in higher percentages than white people in the states. and I believe the same is the case in Canada. And uh, so I mean, like the, none of these these are are g- countries are institutionally racist comments make any sense at all.
0: No, I agree with that, and I uh, I know that Ms. Kigak is not running the game, and she's quite frustrated, and Jody wilson uh is almost, she sort of telegraphed that she's going to get involved at the Assembly of First Nations, because apparently she was, supported Roseanne Archibald in her bid for uh, National Chief, which she won, by the way, congratulations Ms. Archibald, she is the first female Grand Chief of the uh, Assembly of First Nations, and Well, there was some talk on, and again, I can't remember which show it was I was listening to, but that she might, that Jody Wilson-Raybould might be trying to become more active with the AFN to be the next national grand chief. And honestly, the way Miss Archibald is starting off her tenure, I'm almost thinking it would be good to have somebody else in sooner than later. Yeah. So I told you just before the show started that Miss Archibald was she's a well spoken lady i'll give her credit for that she speaks well Uh, but she came right out and swinging out of the gate as soon as she was uh, installed as chief saying that government needs to provide the money we need to start digging up every cemetery every residential school and and we'll get to the graveyards uh, in a moment here because that's an important uh, discussion to have but she also suggested that reparations need to be paid to Indigenous peoples for the the injustices of the past. And that led me to think about a land claims dispute in British Columbia, and you reminded me that it was in the 90s, where the amount of land claims actually encompassed more land than actually existed in British Columbia. Yeah,
1: and not just by a little bit, by more than double. Like, there is 211% of BC's land was under dispute. Land claims, <laughs> we, yeah, meaning that meaning that different different bands were claiming the same land. So, um, I mean it's it's one of those things where how do you how do you decide who gets what when the bands can't even agree on whose land is is what. I mean it's. <laughs> It's kind of, it's no wonder these land claim disputes are taking decades and decades because how do you decide who gets what when they can't even um, come to an agreement on, on whose land is whose?
0: Well, exactly. So um, now I want to jump on quickly because I know we've only got a few minutes left. So we're going to go over time today, Canada, just, just so you know. We apologize for that. But you, Lewis, I have to give you credit. You were the first person in Canadian political talking headspace, let's say, to urge some caution when it comes to these grave sites at residential schools because you're experiencing your past career with ground penetrating radar, and you were the, one, the first one to say hold on um, there might be more to the story here and do you hate being right because you're right again well in this case I don't hate being
1: right because it would because it's turned into these these unmarked graves have turned into um, a money-making industry I mean you see every child matters banners everywhere um and it's, and it's bothering me because it's based on information that that is not confirmed. And so in this case, yeah, I'm actually happy that I'm right.
0: Yeah, because now there's, uh, there was an article that we shared on our Canadian Common Sense Facebook page um, that I talked to a former chief from the Lower Kootenai Band who had said that in that case, there, there was it was actually an abandoned community cemetery, and she said, "Oh, my grandparents were buried there, but they had put up wooden marking, markers on the graves, which of course rotted, and in some cases, fire had destroyed the markers, and they were never replaced." So she, I a mean, well, former chief, actually was urging caution, like you, saying that, you know, these this isn't necessarily. know 215 children and now chiefs across the country are coming out saying we never said mass graves we said you know unmarked unmarked graves and then i heard a quote-unquote expert on ground penetrating radar on the radio just last week saying exactly what you said on this show as far as you know it it can tell depressions and sometimes you can see a coffin but the only way to get to the bottom of this is to excavate exactly and you said that weeks ago,
1: yeah, I did, and and they're actually talking about how um, some of the bands are opting not to excavate, and I and my first thought is, well, of course they're opting not to excavate because they may find out that what they thought was true was not, and it and it will uh, deflate the balloon that that has been inflated here for. Um, uh where the canadian people have been you know uh uh, been um jumping on to the sympathy wagon for uh for first nations and and i'm not saying that we shouldn't feel sympathy or empathy for first nations i think we absolutely should what was done to the to their culture and to their people in the past is is horrific. The way the way many First Nations live on reserves right now is deplorable and embarrassing. And um, but we don't need we don't need falsehoods to feel that way.
0: That's a good like, point. Well, there's, good. there's
1: there's there's enough truth out there to feel to feel empathy and sympathy for for first nations people we don't need we don't need untruths or lies even to to feel that way and it's it's uh i'm trying to remember there was you remember this attack that happened in toronto or something it was a Muslim girl who had her hijab cut off by an Asian man, and then it turned out that it wasn't true. Um, I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, and Justin Trudeau, uh, before any investigation was done, was saying how horrible this was and how racist uh, Canadians are and how, how racist Canada is and how we should be ashamed of ourselves and all this kind of stuff and then when it came out that it wasn't true that she made it all up uh, he said well if this shows us anything it's that we is that Canadians are super racist and <laughs> we should be ashamed of ourselves and everything even, yeah. though, even though it never happened <laughs> well it kind of reminds me of that like we don't know anything about these unmarked graves except that elders and chiefs are saying like some of them are coming out and saying uh well wait hold on we knew they were there they we we were the ones who used them we're the ones who buried people there yeah like of course they're unmarked we marked them with wooden crosses and those wooden crosses have rotted or burned in grass fires or 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 whatever right and it's it's like uh You know, like the one in Cranbrook, the one you were referring to, the the, the former chief said, well, yeah, we knew they were there. This was our community graveyard. And we we knew it was there because we were putting a fence around it and we needed to bring in the ground-penetrating radar to find out, to make sure we weren't putting posts right over top of graves. And that's where they got their count uh, from for all these unmarked graves. And it was last year that they did it. and no. they and then it was released this year after Kamloops released their two hundred and fifteen number and and
0: and they were and it was like someone
1: was trying to capitalize on this and and said, "We've got one hundred and eighty unmarked graves." Well, yeah, but you knew they were there all along. like that, that was your graveyard.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's that's happening, as you say, at reserves all across the country now. They're uh, they're not backpedaling. Not not don't want to use that word, but they're uh, you know they're clarifying now that yeah, these were community graveyards, and nobody has denied ever that there aren't you know children from the residential schools in there. But now, and this is something you said on our show weeks ago again, that now they're saying, well, you know, tuberculosis was a influenza was a big killer pneumonia was a big killer of children back then so was there crimes committed against these children absolutely and should someone be accountable 100 but again we're not talking nearly to the degree that the media wants us to believe no i mean like
1: and i yeah you're right i did say that a few weeks back where i said that tb and And different diseases were were huge killers back then. And it wasn't necessarily that these kids, like, as soon as you say unmarked graves, people automatically, nobody even said it. Just people automatically assumed that these were kids that were murdered by by the church or by the government in these um, uh, residential schools. It was just an assumption that was made. Nobody even said that they were murdered. They just yeah, said we right. found these unmarked we just they just said we found these unmarked graves. And everybody just jumped to the conclusion that they were murdered. Yeah. And, yeah it, that's, right. and that's what pisses me off most about this, is that nobody ever said they were murdered. But we've just assumed they were. And there's no evidence whatsoever that they were murdered. And even even kids that did die at the residential schools, they, most of them died from disease. They didn't die from, you know, uh, uh, a rock being smashed against their skull or anything like that. And, I mean, some, I, I can guarantee you that there are some that died from malnutrition or neglect or, or some kind of abuse, I'm not. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm saying it probably did happen, and most likely did. And I almost guarantee that it did happen. But in relation to how many died from disease, I mean, it's probably an extremely small number compared to how many died from disease. Oh, absolutely! Remember, you got you got to remember that back then there was no medicine. Like, they didn't have. uh you know um penicillin or anything like that they didn't have medicine to fight these diseases if you got one of these diseases your chances of dying were extremely high and that was for anybody white indigenous black asian anybody if you got one of those diseases your chances of dying were extremely high and and it's and people forget that. They, they they think that, oh, we've had these medicines forever. We've had doctors forever. No, no, we haven't. It's a very, very recent thing. Like, it's only really in the last 60 years where we've actually had really good, really good medicines and drugs to fight diseases. And it's only really in the last 100 to 120 years where these... Where the you know where where a lot of these medicines were even developed, it's, but like I said, it's only in the last sixty to seventy years where where we've gotten really good at fighting these illnesses.
0: Yep, absolutely right. So, can uh, okay, normally Canada we would tell you we're at our time, but we have one more story we have to get to, and it's an important one. So, if you've hung in with us this long, this is your payoff because you will not hear this anywhere else in the Canadian political commentary sphere. And that is our good friend, Sir John A. Macdonald. Now, the good news, the City of Hamilton, City Council, voted to keep their statue of Sir John A. Macdonald. And unlike other areas in the country that are tearing down statues of John A. Macdonald because he was the racist, he was behind residential schools, we knocked that one down on previous shows. That John A. Macdonald wasn't necessarily the one who initially started the residential schools program. And as it turns out, Sir Johnny MacDonald is not the racist that he's made out to be, Canada. As a matter of fact, um, Jason Kenney, of all people, Premier of Alberta, had made uh, a reference to this at a news conference a couple weeks ago, and I had to look it up because Jason Kenney had once said that Sir Johnny MacDonald tried to extend the vote to Indigenous people, and History tells us, well, no Indigenous people didn't get the vote until 1960. So I had to look it up, and sure as hell, Canada, do a quick Google search, and you'll find, and I use the teacher's press because I always try to look for left-wing sources to use their own facts against them. And 1885, Prime Minister Sir Johnny MacDonald had two events that of note that year. One, the last spike of the Canadian Pacific Railway at Craigalatchee, B.C., completed the uh, the railway from coast to coast in Canada. Two, Sir John A. Macdonald introduced a voting reform bill because up to this time, voting in federal elections in each of the provinces of Canada was up to the province to uh, create their own rules for voting. So Sir John A. wanted to create a national standard for elections. Part of this voting bill, Sir John A. Macdonald wanted to extend the vote to all Indian males. And I use the word Indian because that was the, the phraseology at the time. Although none of my First Nations friends seemed to mind being called Indians. I just didn't make that side note. But at any rate, Sir A. McDonald wanted to extend the vote to the Indian population, to the men, and uh, also to single women and widows, of all funny things. But his caucus rebelled and the opposition had a fit. So he ended up watering down the bill, and the only indigenous people who were granted the vote after all the, re- the the watering down were non-status Indians. Well, that's what we would call them today, who had graduated university or were landholders, essentially who had assimilated in society and bettered themselves. And it was Liberal Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who actually once coming into power in the eighteen nineties, scrapped. That voter reform bill, so that no indigenous person could have the vote until John Diefenbaker, conservative, wiped that clean and gave them all the vote in 1960. So maybe Sir Johnny wasn't so bad after all. Yeah, that's something you're not
1: gonna hear anywhere else. And and I I am every single time I hear that date, 1960. Every single time I hear that it just blows my mind that it took that long that it that it's only 61 years ago right that, I mean isn't that crazy yeah I mean can, women didn't get the vote until the 1940s in Canada I mean it's it's unreal how how long it took
0: well, and it it's funny that you know, I should say funny, peculiar that Sir John A. in eighteen eighty-five was at least looking to grant single women and widowed women the vote in eighteen eighty-five. And yeah, this country's been governed by liberals. Years. Yeah. So liberals are the ones who are the, the true sexists and the true racists. It's conservatives that were trying to promote that funny thing called equality. Yeah.
1: Well, and isn't it you know what's really uh Here's an interesting one for you. We right now are closer to the date that natives got the vote in Canada than Sir John A. MacDonald's attempt in 1885.
0: Well, that's a good point,
1: yeah. And and 15 years, 15 years, or 14 years. We're 14 years closer to that date than John A. Macdonald when he first attempted to give uh, Natives the vote.
0: Yeah, you're right. And uh, this will be a good way to end the show, Canada, because I find it's absolutely hilarious in an ironic sense. There is a pizza shop owner on Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, who is refusing or is allowing his staff to refuse to accept $10 bills with Sir John A. McDonald's face on them. And the name of this owner of the shop is Paul McDonald. Yeah. Yeah. Paul McDonald,
1: the douchebag.
0: Yep. Doesn't want John A. McDonald on $10 belt. Yeah. What a, what
1: a, what a, oh, I, the word, the names I've got for this guy are, are not appropriate for this show because that's, that, you're not, it's illegal not to accept legal tender. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, like, get, get real, man are you not going to accept 20s because the queen is on it oddly enough that came up
0: (laughs) like
1: like this is this is ridiculous this is so stupid that's a business owner that doesn't want to make money
0: well that's what i thought i think i think you would comment when i posted on my facebook page that uh well maybe we should all just go in there and say oh all we have is tens with johnny mcdonald so i guess it's free
1: yeah well if anybody
0: doesn't you
1: know, if anybody wants, uh, doesn't want to send their $10 bills to him, they can send them to me. I'll take yeah. them.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, well, we've gone over time, and I apologize for that, but I really felt we needed to get all the stuff in today that we did. So thank you for hanging in there with us. Yeah, and and, and as,
1: a, as a change from our
0: normal our normal
1: endings, that was a high note.
0: That was, yes, and uh, I'm glad we, were, we able to, were able to do that once in a while because it's uh, it's important. So. Yeah. So, so Until next time, uh, have a great week, Canada. We will try to get you a show midweek again coming up because there's a lot more to talk about that I've written down today that we we're not going to get to. So until that show happens, it's Tony here in Saskatchewan and Lewis out here in
1: BC. Good night. Good night, Canada.
0: Louis and Tony.